If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Psalms, the 42nd chapter. Psalms, the 42nd chapter, and I'm going to read a few verses here out of that chapter. There are a lot of places in the Bible to me that are very sad. They're, they're, they're difficult to read. Um, you know, the, I think the book of Lamentations is probably right up there at the top where Jeremiah is just grieving over uh, a fallen nation and what he's seen and what he's lost. And as he walks basically down through memory lane talking about how good things used to be and what he sees in the present time and it just breaks his heart. And if you really read that and you're in the right frame of mind, it, it really breaks uh, your heart too. And so Psalms, the 42nd chapter is a, uh, a picture here, a very sad picture. And I'm just going to read a few verses out of it. Uh, and then hopefully the Lord will bless. And I'll start in verse 1. <clears throat> and it says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after Thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God and for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? And if you go on down to verse 10, he kind of continues that same thought. And he says, As with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, <clears throat> Where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? We have a, a, a hymn that, that, uh, that uh, covers a lot of that that I just talked about. But here you have a picture of a man who is in a great state of sorrow and a great state of torment. And it's a torment that we probably are all very familiar with. And if you're not familiar with it, I hope you become familiar with it one day. Uh, because it is a uh, hard place to be, but at times it's a good place to be. And this man here is saying that I'm thirsty. He says, I'm thirsty for the living God. He said, my soul thirsteth after you, just like a, a heart or a deer, or you can even picture a dog or whatever animal you want to picture who has been in the heat of the day. He's exhausted and he is just, his tongue's hanging out and he is panting for water. He desperately needs water because of the condition that he is in. Well, here's a man here that says, I'm not desperately uh, thirsty for water. I'm desperately thirsty for the Lord. I need to feel the presence of the Lord. Because listen, we grow very calloused very quickly. We forget very quickly and we begin to put our trust in things other than God very quickly. And I think this man has come to a recognition of that because he says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Because we are masters at creating little gods for ourselves, right? And boy, don't we thirst after them. And we crave them. You know, I, I, um, at this particular season of our life, and, and, and I've told most many of y'all before, we're, we're in the, the horse phase of our life right now. Our girls and, and Hank and Jack are beginning to do that. <clears throat> but they, uh, they're, they're in the barrel racing, the rodeo season of life. And that's what we do. And we love it. 
And sometimes a little period of time will go by and we'll say to each other, it's like, man, I just wish there was a race this weekend we could go in, enter into. I, we, just, we just crave it. Well, if I'm not careful, that becomes something I thirst for a little too much. And this man, I feel like, has been thirsting for all the little gods he's created in his life. What are the things in life that you just look so forward to? I'm not talking about they're sinful. I'm just talking about we crave things and we look forward to things and we want things and we want to participate in things so bad, but they will leave you feeling thirsty because they cannot fill any, uh, they cannot fill the void that only the Spirit of God can fill. And this man says, I am so thirsty for God. You know, I think about where it says, um, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, blessed are those which hunger and thirst after righteousness. There's something special about having that desire to partake of righteousness. And this man says, I'm tired of drinking from the little gods of this world. He says, I want to thirst, I'm thirsting and I want to drink from the living God, the one and only living God. When shall I come and appear before thee? When will I have an encounter with you, God? When will I feel your presence? Have you ever gone through periods of your life where maybe you were looking, you were thirsty and you were looking to just be filled with the presence of God and you just felt like that wasn't happening? Here's this man saying, when? When am I going to have that satisfying uh, feel of your presence? When is your, your spirit just going to come on me and renew me and refresh me? Very sad state to be in. And what makes it even sadder is that there are a host of people around him in this dry, thirsty state, in a, in a lonely state. He's so lonely, he says, my tears have been my meat day and night. Well, what does meat do for us? It fills us up and comforts us, right? Now, I don't know that I... Uh, now listen, I, and you'll probably see before the sermon's over. I feel like I've gotten emotional as I've gotten older. Is that normal? I have, I've started taking Claritin and right now I'm blaming it on the Claritin. Okay? <laughs> But I've gotten more emotional as time has gone by, but I've never been one of the people yet that just found comfort in crying. But that's a real thing. You know, uh, you know I, I, and I don't want to embarrass Tiffany, but I've heard Tiffany say before, I just, I just feel like crying. I just need to have a cry. You know, and it, there's something about just expressing that emotion that just makes her feel better. It comforts her. And that's okay. And this man says, the only comfort I get is when I cry my eyes out. That's how sad this man is. And on top of that, all the enemies around him are laughing and pointing their finger and saying, where is thy God? Where is he? You preach and you talk and you do all this and you worship and you go on about your God, your God, the God of the Hebrews, the God of the Israelites, and He delivered in Egypt and Red Sea. Where is He now? And boy, they just drive, as He says, those swords in Him. And it's a thing that happens to Him, He says in verse 10, daily. That's a sad place to be, right? To want to be filled with the Spirit of God. To realize you have gone after the little gods of this world. And they've left you dry and thirsty. And now you're panting to be filled with the Spirit of God and to feel His presence. That's a sad place to be. I've been there. I know how sad that is. So sad that the only thing that you can do, the only comfort that you get, is to just sit there and weep. 
Very sad. The question that is posed to him is where is thy God? Where is your God? Where is your God? Maybe that will be a question that I would pose to you today. Where is your God? Look at our nation, right? Look at what's just the rapid decline of our nation. And we got these little churches gathered together and we worship the Lord. Do you ever feel like people say, well, all right, children of God, why are things in such a crazy state of disarray if your God's real? Where's your God at? Maybe you feel that on a personal level. So to, to ask the question, where is God, is not an uncommon question for the children of God. I'm not saying that you don't believe in Him. I'm saying you're asking the question, as the psalmist asked, when shall I come and appear before God? When are we going to commune, Lord? When am I going to feel Your presence in a mighty way? If you flip over, uh, you don't have to flip over there, I'll flip over there for you. In Exodus, the 17th chapter, we find another situation where some people are thirsty. They're not thirsty for the Spirit of the Lord. They're actually physically thirsty. And it says in Exodus, the 17th chapter, this is the account where the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thy hand, and go. Before I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now notice this. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the children, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, And because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Do you see that? These people are so thirsty that they begin to get frustrated. and And the question they pose to themselves is, Where is God? Is God among us or not? Where is He? If God's among us, why are we out here thirsting ourselves to death in this wilderness? It's real similar to Psalms, the 42nd chapter, right? Except one hand, you got somebody that is, thir- uh, you got a group of people that are thirsting spiritually. I mean, they are thirsting physically, and, the, and they come to the conclusion to just cry out, Where is thy God? See, here or not. And then over here in Psalms, the 42nd chapter, you've got a man that is thirsting for God spiritually, and the enemies of him come to the same conclusion that the Israelites came to is, Where is thy God? Now, I guess maybe back in the 90s, I don't remember the exact date, there was a movie that came out and um, the title of it was Frequency. I don't know if anybody ever seen the movie Frequency. Uh, I cannot vouch for whether it's uh, uh, clean or not because it was a long time ago when I saw it. <clears throat> but best I remember is a fairly clean movie. And in this movie, it's a little, it's a little bit of you know science fiction-y kind of movie. But in this movie, uh, there's a man, and uh, he has a little boy, he's married, he's got a little boy, 
And one of this man's hobbies, he's a fireman, but one of the man, man's hobbies is he's got like, and I don't know the exact terminology, but like a, a ham radio type thing. And, and he and his little boy would go in there and, and, uh, and the little boy would sit on his lap and they'd pick up the, you know, the speaker and, and they would begin to talk and the radio waves would go out. And, uh, you, know, you don't ever really know who's listening or who's going to answer back, but somebody would answer back. And they'd say, hey, well, I'm so-and-so from over here. And, and it's okay, well, I'm so-and-so from over here. And you'd, you would have a conversation with them. <clears throat> And the boy's father dies in a fire. And his mother is murdered. And so this little boy uh, grows up and he lives in the house that his father and mother lived in. And everything is pretty much the same. And their little room back there with the radio is still set up. And so one day the little boy goes back, or he's a grown man now. As he's grown, he goes back there. And he begins to talk on that radio. Well, in a weird TV kind of way, what happens is, you know, all the cosmic blah, blah lines up somehow or another. And he, in the future, begins to talk to his father in the past. So in the movie, you'd have the, the, the young boy who's now grown talking like this is so-and-so, and he strikes up a conversation with this man, and he, he talks to him several nights in a row, and they come to realize that they're talking to one another. So the father, way back in the past, is, is realizing, I'm talking to my son in the future. And the son in the future is realizing, I'm talking to my father in the past. And so the whole movie is geared around them communicating back and forth and trying to uh, change things where the father will not die in the fire and the mother will not be murdered, right? Well, there comes a time in the movie where the boy's radio gets broken, right? He's still sitting at the same desk that he sat at as a child. And so they lose communication in the midst of all this trying to change things and figure things out. He loses communication. And the father realizes, well, I got that backwards. The father's radio gets broken. And he loses communication with the son. Well, there comes a point in the movie that the dad, desperately needing to communicate with his future son, takes a wood-burning kit and he burns in the wooden table where the radio sits, I'm still here. And it appears on the son's table. And the son, in the midst of a difficult time, gets some reassurance that his father was still there. So, if I could title this sermon, I would title it, I'm Still Here. Where is thy God? In Deuteronomy, the 29th chapter, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. You see, God is a great revealer, right? God has many, many things to reveal. 
But he knows we can't handle them all. So God, in a very fatherly way, he reveals things to us at times when we desperately need it. I am thankful that the Lord revealed the truth about salvation by grace to us. I'm thankful that the Lord chose to reveal that he has prepared a place in heaven for us. There are things, there are many things that the Lord reveals, but there are things that he has not revealed. I heard a guy preach a sermon one time. It was called the joy of the unknown. And that what a blessing it is that the Lord does not reveal everything because he made the point in there. He said, if an angel of God appeared to you one night and he laid your life out before you up until the day you die, he said, you'd never have another happy day. Because you would be so focused on all the bad things that are coming in your life, you'd never have another happy day. So God has blessed us that He does not fully pull that curtain back. But God is a great revealer at times. I want you to think about this. Everybody in here has seen some beautiful, beautiful landscapes before. You know, we've been to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and through Idaho and Montana. You just see things that are breathtaking, right? But you wouldn't see him if the sun didn't rise. And so when God brings that sun up, what is he doing? He is revealing his creation. And as the Bible says, uh, the the heavens declare his handiwork. God reveals things to us in different ways. I think about when when I um, proposed to Tiffany um, that... I did like most people do uh, that I had a little box you know with a ring in it and uh, that's another story for another day pretty pretty funny story of proposing to her <clears throat> I was such a loser <laughs> you know <laughs> I thought I was pretty sharp but I wouldn't so I get down on my knee in front of her and I hold this box out well when I opened that box I revealed something to her And most of the time, when the Lord reveals something to us and He pulls that curtain back, it's kind of a a wow factor, right? And and the box was special, but it wasn't as special as when I revealed what was inside of it. So I'm thankful that God is a revealer through His Spirit, through His Word, through something as simple as His sunrise. Now, where I'm going with this is that we are all too often like the man in Psalms, the 42nd chapter. Where we're so thirsty for God, because mostly because we have followed other gods, we realize we end up in a dry and thirsty land, and we're so thirsty for God. And as we hear the scoffers say, where is thy God? There are times in our life when we grow weary, and the Lord, who is the great revealer, Pulls the curtain back and says, I'm still here. If you look at Luke, the 24th chapter, for just a second, Luke, the 24th chapter, this is after the Lord has been crucified and he's been buried. Now, put yourself in the situation, put yourself, make yourself a disciple of Christ, make yourself an apostle of Christ. Go back in time in your mind and imagine what it would have been like to walk with Him. You see, what these guys were looking for was a king. They were looking for an earthly king to come and set up the nation of Israel once again as as a powerful kingdom. 
And they had prophecies concerning that. And that's who they were looking for. They were looking for a Messiah who was going to come the king of Israel. Because they had been without a king for so long. So if you are a Hebrew, you're thinking, oh, the days of, you know, we had, there was a time when we had King Saul, and then there was a time we had David, and then we had Solomon, and we had this long list of kings, and we were somebody, because we had kings. But it's been so long, but there's a king coming, and the Bible prophecies have told us that his kingdom will never end. There won't be any more of this up and down, we got a king, we don't have a king. And so they were looking for that. <clears throat> and they are believing that Christ is that king. And in verse 24, I mean chapter 24, verse 13 it says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. That's about seven miles. We, we cover seven miles in no time. But if you had to walk it, you got to kill some time. So they were talking. Can you imagine what that conversation would have been like? Because it says, And they talked together of all these things which had happened. What a conversation. What a walk down memory lane that would be. Of the, of the three years or so, three and a half years, and all the things that you've heard of or seen Jesus do. John writes, if we wrote down everything that He did, even the world wouldn't fill up the books. I mean, the books would fill up the world. There's a lot to talk about. And so they're walking down through here, but they're not, they're not joyful. They're not walking down like, man, was that not awesome when He raised that little kid from the dead? Well, was that not awesome when, when, uh, when, when the, the, uh, the woman with the issue of blood crawled on her face and, 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 and touched the hem of His garment, she was healed? Or what about Lazarus? How awesome was the account of Lazarus? They're not excited. They're sad. They're mopey. They're pouting. And they're probably, if they're like me, talking about, I just, I, I, I don't understand. I thought he was going to, I thought this was him. I thought he was the king. I thought he was the Messiah. How could he do all these things if he wasn't the Messiah? But now he's dead and gone. And they're just trying to make heads or tails of it. And it says, And it came to pass that while they were communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. In some type of way that I don't fully understand, Jesus stayed behind the curtain at this point. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Are thou, are thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? And hast thou not known the things which are come to pass these three days? They're saying, Where have you been? Have you been under a rock? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been him, which we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. You see what they're saying? We thought it was Him. We thought He was the guy coming, that He was going to redeem and restore Israel. One of the things He said was that He was going to be in the grave for three days and He was coming back. And today's the third day. What's the question on their minds? Where is thy God? They're asking themselves that. Where, where is thy God? 
all this hope, all these things that we had, these feelings, these thoughts, gone. Where is thy God? And you know as they walked, probably the people sitting on the side of the road that were just reprobate evildoers probably scoffed at them. Hey, where's your God now? We saw you following Him. Where is He now? It's been three days. Where is He? Swords to the soul. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not His body, they came saying that He had seen had also seen a vision of angels which they said he was alive and certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even as the women had said but him they saw not they got our hopes up for nothing no god there we heard we heard the tomb was empty it's been three days we heard the tomb was empty went and checked it out not there can't find him where is god then he said unto them O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory. And it says, In beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and He made as though He would have gone further. But they constrained Him, saying, Abide with us, for it is, to, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And He went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave to them. All right, do you see see how this is unfolding? Very, very sad children of God whose hopes for Israel have been dashed. Now, let's let's don't think that we would have been better than them. I would have probably been worse. Negative Nelly would have been worse. Their hopes are dashed. They're sad. And they're probably thinking, well, now what? Now what are we going to do? And as Jesus, who is still behind the curtain, begins to speak to them, there's just something about the way He is talking. There's something about the things that He is saying that by their own admission, their hearts are burning within them. And there's just something about this man. I don't know, I don't know how he's, I don't know, he's kind of got me refocused away from my sadness. And they said, well, just come stay with us. We don't know who you are, but please come abide with us and just continue to talk with us. And it, and it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave to them. And then he pulls that curtain back. And he says, I'm still here. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. That's what the guy in Psalms 42 wants. He says, God, how much longer till I stand before you and see you and commune with you and feel your presence? How much longer are we going to be behind that curtain, Lord? They're laughing at me daily saying, where is he? Where's your God at? But for these two precious disciples, he pulled that curtain back and said, I'm still here. Probably one of my favorite ones that I preached on a little bit a month or two ago, somewhere, maybe Bethlehem, I can't remember. Uh, There's a man named Stephen who has been a faithful disciple of Christ. 
followed him. And in Acts, the sixth chapter, <clears throat> what you find is, let's see if I can find in Acts, the sixth chapter. In verse 9, it says, Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and the Cyrenians, and the Alexandrians, and out of them of Sicilia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. What do you do when you can't pin somebody down on something? You start lying about it. Then they suborned men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came unto him and caught him and brought him to the council. And set up false witnesses which said, This man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against his holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the custom which Moses delivered unto us. And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. So Stephen is sitting amongst the scoffers, right? You know, one of the things that the disciples dealt with a lot after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus is people pointing fingers and they're slashing them with their swords saying, where is he, where is he, where is he? So here Stephen is brought before these councils of of men that are hating him. And then if you ever, I told the folks wherever I was, if you ever don't want to read the Old Testament, but you want the Cliff Notes version, read Acts the 7th chapter. Because Stephen lays out such a compressed, condensed, beautiful uh, summary of the Old Testament. And when he gets to the end of it, it says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now listen. I got in, I woke up this morning. I got cleaned up. I put on my suit. I got in our comfy car. I drove down the road. I came to a church where people love me. And I preach things that I know that these people are going to receive well. And I'm going to get back in my comfy car later and I'm going to go back home. And all's going to be well. We don't really know what it's like to be gnashed on with the teeth of our enemies. But I imagine it's a pretty scary place to be. As people begin to, to mock us and, and, and gnash on us with their teeth and they're cut to the heart. Well, that's the position Stephen's in. Here you've got this mass multitude of people and they're against him. Do you know what he needs in this moment? He needs that curtain pulled back, does he not? To be reminded in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of your terror, I'm still here. And that's exactly what the Lord does. It says, but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven. Now that's a picture of a curtain being pulled back. And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And said... Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. I was telling Tiffany yesterday, we don't have the liberty to open those back doors and go peek out up the sky and see angels ascending and descending as God discharges them to go minister to His servants. We don't have that luxury. 
God does not once a year open the curtain of heaven and let us look in for a few seconds just to renew our strength. But boy, he opened that curtain for Stephen. And I want you to notice this. What they do to Stephen is they take him, they drag him out of the city, and then they stone him to death. And maybe I'm being a little bit presumptuous here. But what Stephen saw, the way the Lord revealed Himself, it's the secret things belong in the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us. This vision belonged to Stephen. And I imagine when God pulled that curtain back in the midst of a terrifying ordeal, Stephen was so struck by what he saw. The writing on the desk that I'm still here. That they stoned him and probably he either bled to death or it was just blunt force trauma. But if you notice in this last verse, it says, He kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You know what that tells me? Stephen took a stoning standing up. Because he was so struck by what he was looking at. <laughs> that even when the rocks busted his teeth out and mangled his body and blood poured down his body, he's just fixed on what he's seeing because the Lord's revealing is a mighty thing sometimes. And when he, his physical body could not take any more, he knelt down and he died. When God reveals Himself to us in those ways, it is powerful to us. Only the power of God can keep a man standing on his two feet while he's stoned to death. In John the 20th chapter, I want to give you one more here. John the 20th chapter, Jesus has been crucified, laid in the tomb, And has been resurrected. The general theme is, where is He? Where is thy God? Not only are the enemies of God saying it, the children of God are saying it. Where is He? And He appears to the disciples. But there's one of them that, that is not there, and His name is Thomas. It says, But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. This is the resurrected Jesus, you understand. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see his hands, in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, he says, I will not believe. I I totally don't know that I blame him. There's been a lot going on. Look, look, we can live in the fairy tale world that we walked with Jesus, saw all the things Jesus did. It was wonderful. We loved Him. Our hearts burned within us. And then He dies. And we all sit over there and wait three days. And we're at the tomb waiting for three days. All right, any minute now, He's coming back. Nobody had that type of faith in the Bible. They all were like, it's over. Where is He? It's done. And Thomas is so far to that point. He says, I, 
You, you ever had something happen in your life and, and you're really hoping for something, but you don't want anybody to get your hopes up that it's actually going to happen? Somebody said, don't, don't get my hopes up. Don't get my hopes up because I cannot bear the disappointment. I feel like that's what Thomas was. I don't think, I mean, obviously Thomas loved the Lord. He was faithful. I think Thomas was like, don't get my hopes up. I'm emotionally drained. Just don't get my hopes up. Let's all just go back to what we were doing. Y'all go get your nets. You go back to the taxes. I'll go back to whatever I did. I just can't, I just can't bear the thought of being disappointed. Well, we beat up on Thomas. But really and truly, they were all like that. Because if you go back just a little bit, it says, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace unto you. Peace be unto you. Notice this. It says, And when he had said so, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. You see, they had to have the proof too. We beat up Thomas, but it wasn't that the, the other disciples didn't get glad until they saw the, the wounds as well. But Thomas is in a bad spot. Don't get my hopes up. I can't bear the disappointment. Let's just get on about our life. I don't know what just happened these last three and a half years, but it's going to take some major proof for me to continue to believe. And it says, and he says, unless I put my fingers into the print of his nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. All right. What is all of our belief, what is all our hope really based on right now in 2021? That He has resurrected from the grave, right? That's what all of our hope is because the Bible says if He's not risen, we're not going to be risen. So all there's a lot riding on whether or not the Lord has been resurrected. Because Thomas is saying, I am not going to believe. I am laying down my hope. I'm laying down my faith. I will not believe anymore. That's called apostasy, and he's this close to it. And can you see Jesus with a hand on the curtain? And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. So he appears. Here they are. He says, peace be unto you. And then he looks right at Thomas. Then saith he to Thomas. And he pulls that curtain back. And he takes a man who is about to walk away from it all. And he reveals himself to Thomas. And he says, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hands and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. You know what Thomas was saying? Where is thy God? Where is my God? And the Lord said, I'm still here. I thought about my own life. At the times when I had been calloused but desperately thirsty for God. And the times that He pulled that curtain back for me. And I felt in a small way 
what I imagine Thomas felt, what I imagine Stephen felt, and what I imagine those two disciples on the road to Emmaus felt. Some of these examples may be real silly to y'all, but I hope they're not. I remember one time I was out in my shop and I have a great disdain for small engines with a pull start cord. And I was wanting to use our pressure washer. And I pulled on the cord of that pressure washer until I was exhausted and probably mad as a hornet. (laughs) Frustrated. But God had his hand on that curtain. And Hank walked up to me. And he said, Dad, have you prayed about it? I said, no. And he prayed about it with me there. And he said, Amen. And I grabbed that cord and it started the first time. Now you can say what you want. But God pulled the curtain back for me that day. And he said, I'm still here. And I still work in the lives of my people. Don't be faithless. Don't be unbelieving. I can think about times that I have been extremely discouraged over evangelism in the Primitive Baptist Church. If you're not discouraged over evangelism in the Primitive Baptist Church, you haven't tried evangelizing. And there are times that I would just cry out to God and say, Lord, why does nobody care? Why can't we get your people who I know have been born again by the Spirit of God, why can't we get them to care and to see the truth? Almost to the point that I was, I have almost been to the point of Thomas. Like, unless somebody walks back through that back door, like Brother Obey, I, I'm, I don't know, Lord, I'm just, I'm just not going to believe. And I think of, uh, one of the examples I think of is Sister Margo Wishhouse. Some of y'all know her from Bethlehem. Out here, just burning the roads up trying to evangelize and trying to get people to show the slightest interest in the church. And one Sunday, Sister Margot shows up at Bethlehem. Not a soul in that church had witnessed to her, talked to her, invited her. And she, through the most bizarre circumstances in the world, found Bethlehem and came and embraced it and loved it and is still faithful today. And God just had pulled that curtain back for me. said, I'm still here. Your little poor, feeble efforts of evangelizing Luke, I'm still here. I have been at the point at rock bottom as far as discouragement goes. I think I've told you this before. Rock bottom of discouragement. I remember laying in bed one night, just broken, discouraged just about the ministry and evangelism and, and things like that. And at the most bizarre hour of the night, from a person that I really don't even know well, my phone buzzes. And it is the most wonderful text of encouragement 
that came from the most bizarre place at the most bizarre time. And you know, you can say what you want to, but God was pulling it back and said, I'm still here. I'm still here. Let me give you a real goofball one. Well, let me tell you this one first. I've heard this a lot of different times. Well, when we, uh, Tim and I first got married, uh, not, not too uh, long after we'd gotten married, we were living in a house and, um, well, I take that back. We'd been married 10 years, I guess. Now to think about it, but it was when the tornado came through Tuscaloosa. Y'all remember that? A while back. The big tornado. And I went out to go to work one day, and we were living in her grandmother's house who had passed on and gone, and we were living there until we could figure out where we were going to be. And uh, there was this man out in our mailbox, and he said, Hey, I've lost everything you know, in the tornado. I'm just out trying to make a little money. Can I paint your mailbox? And I will kind of hand script uh, the address, the name and address. And I was like, ah, I don't think so. Mailbox is good. It's not even my house. You know, sorry, but i got to get to work kind of thing. Real loving, you know, real, real good example there. And I came home. It just convicted my heart. And I came home and uh, that day and I told Tiffany about it. I said, well, um, you know, maybe, maybe if he's there tomorrow, you know, you can rectify that situation. He wanted $50 to do it. And I come out the next day, and there the man stands at my mailbox. I said, all right, brother, paint away. 50 bucks. I didn't care if he, you know, just conned me and left, whatever. 50 bucks. i got to go to work. And so I came home that day, and he had painted the mailbox. It looked beautiful. And I was telling Tiffany about it. I said, she, you're not, she said, you're not going to believe this. She said, I was in the grocery store today. And I found $50. Coincidence, I looked up the definition of coincidence, and I, I, I forgot it, really. But basically the definition of coincidence is when something astounding happens for really no rhyme or reason. You can call that coincidence if you want to. But I think there was a reason. And I think it was just one of the times that God was merciful to his people and he just pulled that curtain back. The silly one I was going to tell you about was uh, last March, I guess it was. Some of you Bethlehem people will remember this. Last March, I guess it was um, when you know, the COVID mess was starting. Uh, and we were meeting outside at Bethlehem. And if you've never been to Bethlehem on the backside of Bethlehem, you know, you've got, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe... 15, 18, 20 steps that you got to come up to get to the back of Bethlehem. Then we've got a little porch that we, that before you come into the church, a covered porch. Well, the way we set it up, we would stand on that porch with the speakers and everybody would sit in their cars or sit in a lawn chair or something and we just met outside. That's how we did it. Well, we have two dogs. We have a squirrel dog and we have a German shepherd. And uh, even though Brother Marlin has taught me better, to leave both dogs out, a hunting dog and another dog out together. For some reason, we left them out together, and they they were gone. Now, we're animal people. We love our dogs, okay? And so we get home on Saturday sometime. Dogs are nowhere to be found. I said, they'll come back. Don't worry. They're dogs. They'll come back. Um, Saturday night, no dogs. And I'm going to tell you, when the dogs aren't home, Tiffany's not going to sleep. Okay? She worries about those dogs. I'm thankful for that. I think about the virtuous one when it talks about she rises while it's dark and gives food to her maidens 
Uh, we don't have maidens, obviously, but we've got dogs, and she'll get up in the middle of the night and take care of them. Sunday morning, get up. They'll be back Sunday morning. Get up Sunday morning, no dog. Dogs. And so, you know, we're thinking the worst. Whatever. So we get together as a family and we pray for the dogs to come home. I mean, you, th- you know, think as silly if you want to. And so I am sitting up on, we go to church, and I'm sitting up on that porch <clears throat> about to preach. And Brother Neil is preaching. And brothers and sisters, I look up, and those two dogs walk into the church parking lot. <laughs> silly as it is. It's not quite the Stephen account. <laughs> but I, I heard the Lord say I'm still here. I heard Him say I'm still here. 1 Corinthians, as I close, says, Now we look through a glass darkly. But then, speaking of heaven, face to face. See, we don't fully see things right now. We don't walk outside and see the angels ascending and descending. We don't walk outside and see the heavens open and get to look into heaven at what is to come. We don't get to do that. We see through a glass darkly. But one day we will see the fullness and the curtain completely taken away. But until then, the Lord is so good to us that He gives us times in our life where He pulls that curtain back and reminds us that I'm still here. Because we can get so lost in Fox News and CNN and Little League and barrel races and you name it. That sometimes we wonder, where is God? And He's merciful enough to us to pull that curtain back. I think about Joseph and Jacob that I preached to you a long time ago. Jacob believed that Joseph had been dead for years and years and years. The Bible says he refused to be comforted. Well, there comes a time that Joseph, who's in Egypt, sends the wagons back to Jacob to get him to bring him back into Egypt where there was food. And, and Jacob, who refused to be comforted, the Bible says he looked up and saw the wagons and said, it is enough. And he was comforted. The Bible doesn't say he looked up and saw Joseph. He just looked up and saw the wagons. He was looking through a glass darkly, but it was enough. So those little moments that the Lord pulls that curtain back and says this is enough, we ought to rejoice in them. We ought to beg Him for them. And I encourage you, if God has pulled the curtain back for you, or you've looked down on that desk and you've seen where it says, I'm still here, tell God's people about it. Share that with one another. Don't keep that to yourself because sometimes my desk may not have anything written on it. But yours might. And that might be enough to encourage us to continue, knowing that He's still here. I hope that's been profitable for you. Uh, Please continue to pray for the communion service coming up after lunch. Thank you.